good morning. Uh, as our brother elder earlier shared, my name is Peter Hess. I am the pastor of Christ Fellowship Church of Williamsburg. We are a church that knows Nansman River Baptist Church, and we're a church that prays for you regularly in our services. We are so encouraged by you, by your love for Jesus Christ, by your love for God's word, and by your commitment to do the things that you talked about this morning, which is making disciples of Jesus Christ, both within the walls of this church, but then also in our community. You guys are a great encouragement to our congregation, and it is a real privilege for me to be here and uh, share with you this morning. In particular, I am a, a great admirer and friend of your pastor, Ryan. Uh, so grateful for his faithfulness to God's word and for his friendship to me personally. Uh, you guys are a blessed congregation. You have a man who loves you very much, and he loves God's word, and he is committed to teaching that to you. So again, it's just a privilege to be with you this morning. We're going to be looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 5, but before we do that, let's go to our God in prayer and ask him to help us as we uh, study his word together. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come together before your word this morning, we want to have hearts that are humble before you. Uh, Lord, your word is true. Your word is life. It gives life. And we acknowledge that apart from you, we can't understand it rightly. Unless your spirit comes and helps us, Lord, we won't be changed in the ways that we need to be changed today. So we're praying, Lord God, as we study your word now, that you would help us. Send your spirit to be among us. Open our minds. Help us to see wonderful things in your law, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to be talking about vows and commitments and commitments made to God this morning as we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And in our day, I think it's fair to say that many people, perhaps most people, do not take vows seriously, even vows made to God. But it wasn't like that for Martin Luther. So in July of 1505, a 21-year-old Martin Luther, who was then a student at Erfurt University studying law, he found himself in a terrifying thunderstorm. And in the midst of that storm, a bolt of lightning struck so close to him that it knocked him down to the ground and in his horror, he cried out in a moment, St. Anne, help me, I will become a monk. Now, you might think that as soon as the danger kind of passed by, that he would just kind of forget his commitment, he would move on with his studies as a law student, but that is not what happened. Actually, he took his vow very, very seriously. Uh, even as an unconverted man, Luther knew that to make a vow to God was a serious thing. And so he set his affairs in orders over the next two weeks, and despite the protest of his father, he showed up two weeks later at the door of a local Augustinian monastery. So what are we to think of Luther's actions? You know, was he foolish for passing by the, the lucrative law career that he could have had? Was he rebellious going against the wishes of his father and not continuing his law school? That's not how Luther thought about it. By keeping his vow, Luther understood himself to be fulfilling a, a divine commission to minister the gospel. And by keeping the vow, Luther demonstrated the kind of reverence for God that should characterize the people of God. Uh, his commitment that he made to God, he took quite seriously and that's a good model for us. You see, according to God's word, it is a serious thing to make a vow to God. It's a, a serious thing to commit ourselves to God in some way. Whether we do that verbally out loud or whether we do that in the quiet of our heart, when we make a commitment to God, it's a serious matter. It's something that we should take seriously. We're going to see that in our passage this morning. We're going to see in our passage that God is glorious. 
And God is worthy. God is in heaven because he is worthy of all praise. When we make a commitment to him, by his grace, we should keep that commitment. We should regard him in our hearts in such a way that we keep our word to him. Now, over the past five weeks, you guys have been on a journey through the book of Ecclesiastes. This is a, this is a wonderful book, but in some ways, if we don't understand it rightly, we can think of it as somewhat of a depressing book. You know, you've heard the complaint of the preacher over the course of the last five weeks. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. So according to the preacher, as you've studied through the first few chapters, you've heard that everything is vanity. You've heard that wisdom is vain. You've heard that self-indulgence and pleasure is vanity. You've heard that wise living is vain. Why? Because both the wise man and the fool, well, they both ultimately just die. It seems meaningless. And even work is vain. Why? Because life is characterized by so much struggle and frustration. And then at the end of that, what comes? Well, once again, death comes. And it seems like all is vanity of vanities. You've learned that there's a time for everything, right? There's a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time for peace and there's a time for war. You've seen that God has put eternity in the hearts of men and women so that no matter how much we take from this world, everything is never enough because we weren't ultimately made for this world. You've listened to the preacher talk about wickedness and injustice that marks this world. Most especially, you've seen that in chapter 4 of this book. Much of the time, Ecclesiastes seems to be a depressing book as if everything is meaningless, as if everything is vanity of vanities. And yet, if you've been paying attention There have been several times as you've studied through these first four chapters that you've heard the preacher say to you, enjoy this. Now, he said in chapter 2, verse 24, that we should enjoy things like work and we should enjoy things like food. We should see those as gifts of God. Later on, he's going to tell us that we should enjoy the pleasure that God gives us in this life. The possessions that God gives us, we should enjoy those. The people that God places in our lives, we should enjoy those. Why? Because they are gifts of God. So which is it? Is life meaningless or is life meaningful? Are we supposed to go through life dejected or are we supposed to go through life finding joy in the world? Well, if you understand that the book of Proverbs can be read from different perspectives, you will be helped. So perhaps you are familiar Uh, with a pretty well-known optical illusion of a a woman. seems to be of a woman. It's a young woman. And as you look at the page, the young woman, she has a a large head, and she's kind of looking away to the left, and you can't quite see her face, but you can tell she must be very lovely. But then you blink, and as soon as you blink, well, now all of a sudden you see not a young woman, but an old woman. And the big white hat, now it's changed. Now it's a small white hat, and even though the old woman isn't pretty she seems very kind what happened well nothing really the picture didn't change but your perspective on the picture changed and Ecclesiastes is something like that if you're going to understand the book of Ecclesiastes well you have to understand that it's a book that must be kind of read through three different perspectives or you might say three different lenses You know, the first lens that you put on the book, it shows the world broken by sin. Now, this is the perspective that causes the preacher to cry out, vanity of vanities, all is 
vanity. Yes, there's work to be done. Yes, there's pleasure to be had in the world. But both the work and the pleasure, they ultimately seem meaningless. Why? Because no matter what you experience, no matter how much you do, ultimately you die and everything you have goes to someone else. And so it seems from that perspective that everything is vain. And yet there is a second lens. There's a second perspective. And that reminds us that even though this world is cursed by God, God created a good world. It is a good world and it's filled with good gifts. And God intends for us to use those good gifts and to receive those as good gifts from his hand. Things like work and food and possessions and relationships. God wants us to receive those from him as good gifts from him. He wants us to delight in them but he wants us to enjoy them wisely. And that means remembering that they won't last. We need that perspective on this world. But then there's a third lens that we need as we study the book of Ecclesiastes. It's seen most clearly at the end of the book, but it's the perspective that says, yes, enjoy life, but remember that when life is over, you will stand before God and you will give an account for the way you have lived your life. For every word, for every deed, you will one day stand before God and give an account. It says that in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 14, God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. In other words, Ecclesiastes is a book that teaches us that God will judge us when we stand before him one day. And this means, and listen, this is important, that from the perspective of eternity, everything is not vanity of vanities, Everything is ultimately deeply meaningful. Everything we do, everything we say is ultimately meaningful. Now, as we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 to 7 this morning, we're going to need that third lens most especially because we're going to be thinking about our relationship with God. This is a passage that teaches us about wisdom, uh, wise living, most especially, it's a passage that teaches us about how we are supposed to make commitments to God or make vows to God. How are we supposed to do that? Well, this is a passage that reminds us, even as it instructs us, that for the commitments we've made to God, we will one day give an account. Now, in ancient Israel, vows were often made in the temple. That's really going to be the context of this passage. Uh, the temple in Jerusalem, the place of God's special presence in their Jewish men and women, they would make vows of ways that they were going to serve God. How were they supposed to do that? Well, from this passage, we're going to learn that they were to make their vows or their commitments to God thoughtfully and with a heart that's filled with reverence for God. And once the vows were made, well, they were to keep those vows. If you have your copy of God's word, I hope you have it before you, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1 to 7. Let me read this for us before we jump into this passage. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they are doing. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. 
Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. It's a great passage of Scripture. It's a passage of Scripture that helps us to think about who God is and how we're supposed to relate to Him. As verse 7 makes most especially clear, this passage teaches us about rightly reverencing or fearing God through the commitments we make to Him. So as we study this passage together this morning, we're going to study this passage using two points, which are really two ways to rightly fear God. So two ways to rightly fear God from Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. First, we're going to see reverent words. We'll see that in verses 1 to 3. Second, we're going to see faithful deeds. We'll see that from verses 4 to 7. Look again with me, if you will, at verses 1 to 3. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. You see in this that God's desire for us is that we would worship him through reverent words. Now, up until chapter 5, the preacher has been at work. He's been at work making observations on life. He's told us about the vanity we feel in a fallen world, the fact that it does in some ways seem meaningless to us, but then he's also told us that even in the midst of the vanity of this world, we're supposed to be enjoying good things from him. But now in chapter 5, verses 1 to 3, this is the first time that the, the preacher turns to us, if you will, and he begins to give us uh, exhortations on how to live. This is when he starts to take the wisdom and he starts to press it into our soul so we live in a way that is pleasing to God. Here he encourages his readers to live wisely before God and specifically he's addressing the way they're supposed to make vows to God. So once again, in our mind's eye, we, we should see the temple before us in Jerusalem, Solomon's temple, and you should see a, a Jewish man or woman walking into the temple intent on worshiping God and intent most especially on making a vow, a commitment to serve God in some way. How, how should that man speak? Well, look at verse 1. What does the preacher say? We see the man should guard his steps when he goes to the house of God. That, that, that phrase, guard your steps, it refers most especially to a, to a reverence of heart and mind. It's an attitude of respect. Remember that in Old Testament Israel, the temple was the special place of God's presence. When he filled the temple, remember when Solomon is praying before the people and Solomon finishes his prayer and then the Shekinah glory of God fills the temple. The glory is so great that no one can enter the temple for a time and the people of Israel were to remember that this is the place where God has chosen to set his name in a special way. And just as Moses was to take his sandals off of his feet when he approached the burning bush, so a Jewish man or woman was to go into the temple with the same attitude of worship and reverence before God because God is in heaven and we are on earth because God is big and we are small. What will that reverent heart lead him to do? What will it lead this person to do? Well, it will lead this person to have an attitude of listening, 
not running at the mouth, but listening to hear what God would say. And the idea of listen there is really to both hear and obey God's word. And that reverent heart would keep him from offering what the preacher calls the sacrifice of fools. Now, what's that? What is the sacrifice of fools? Well, the word fools there, it's from the Hebrew word zabah. It refers to an offering that was killed in sacrifice, but then after that would be eaten by the family over a meal. It's easy to imagine that that kind of offering, that kind of sacrifice could quickly, you know, just become routine. Yeah, let's just offer this sacrifice real quick so we can get to the good part. The good part is when we sit down and enjoy this wonderful meal together. And that attitude which dishonors God is what the preacher calls the sacrifice of fools. What is it most especially? It is approaching God thoughtlessly. It's approaching God without reverence in your heart. It's approaching God without considering that he is great and we are small. Well, if we guard our ways, if we guard our steps, we won't do that. Now, in verse 2, the preacher gives his readers more instruction about the right way to worship the Lord in the temple. He says, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. In other words, when you draw near for worship, you shouldn't just run at the mouth without thinking about what you're saying. You shouldn't speak quickly and thoughtlessly in God's presence. Now, this would obviously refer to things like, you know, pridefully boasting before God about things you've accomplished or how great you are. But it's more than that. And especially because you want to study the Bible in its context, what comes before and what comes after. When you look at verses 4 to 7, what's being addressed most particularly is a vow that's made to God that needs to be kept. And so the idea in this passage most particularly is that we should not quickly and thoughtlessly make a vow to God without considering whether or not we can actually fulfill it. Like someone who comes to the temple and says, yes, I'm going to donate all of this money to the temple as an act of worship to God, but without actually considering whether or not he had the money to give. Well, that shouldn't happen. Why? Well, again, because God is glorious. Do you see that in verse 2? He is in heaven and we are on earth. He is big. We are little. God, brothers and sisters of Nansman River Baptist Church, God deserves thoughtful worship. He deserves a heart of reverence when we approach him because he is glorious. And that's a word I'm going to use a lot this morning. I'm going to use that word reverent because I think it's a good word to think about. As we approach God, our heart should be reverent before him. Now in verse 3, the preacher gives a proverb to make this point. He says, for a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. Commentators go back and forth about what this exactly means. I, I think the idea is probably that dreams often seem to be busy with activity. There's a lot going on in our dreams, but when you wake up, you realize that nothing actually has happened. Uh, in the same way, a fool will go on and on speaking and talking and making great boasts and making great promises. But at the end of the day, they don't live up to any of that. Their words ultimately are empty. So we're not to speak like fools when we speak to God. We're not to be rash and thoughtless when we make a commitment to God. So this is how the preacher is encouraging these Old Testament Jewish men and women. When they come to worship God, what were they to do? They were to guard their steps, having an attitude of reverence before God. And they were to not be rash with their words. They weren't to give thoughtless vows, promising God great things but then not being able to fulfill the promises that they've made. Now, what does this passage have to say to us in the year 2023? 
let me make two observations and give you one application before we move on. The first observation is that failing to keep the commitments you've made to God is sin. In our day, we don't have the same kind of vow-making system that they had in the Jewish temple. We don't have the same kind of system where you would go to the priest and you would tell the priest what you intend to do for God. But, but that doesn't mean that we don't make commitments to God. We do make commitments to God. Either in prayer, in our hearts, or publicly. And many times over the course of our lives, we've made commitments to God. Sadly, we don't always keep our commitments, do we? So think about it a little bit. Some of us have promised to give the Lord money for, for the ministry of the church or perhaps to support a particular missionary, but then when we began to feel perhaps a little bit of financial pressure, we just kind of pulled away from that commitment. Some of us have fallen into sin, and in the guilt we felt as a result of falling into sin, we've made great promises to God. God, I'll never do that again. But then... As soon as the consequences start to go away, as soon as we don't feel quite as guilty anymore, we find that we go right back to that sin. Brothers and sisters, that's a major issue in the sin of pornography and in others as well. On our wedding day, some of us promised the Lord and our spouses that we would be faithful for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health. But through sin or selfishness, or pursuing an unbiblical divorce, we have failed to keep those vows. Many of us have promised to serve the Lord in some way and ministry at church, but then, then we found over time that laziness just kind of gets in the way and we just don't want to do it anymore. And we haven't been faithful to that commitment. Over the course of our lives, we've made commitments to God, but we failed to keep those commitments. And this is a passage that confronts us with that reality and reminds us that it's sin. To fail to keep our commitments to the Lord, brothers and sisters, is sin. A second observation, fools treat God lightly. Do you notice how many times the passage uses the word fool? Uh, two times in the first three verses, and then in verse 4 it uses the word fool again. Who is the fool? The, spool, the fool is the person who comes before God without reverence. There's no fear of God in his heart. There's no fear of God in her heart. It speaks of a person who, whether he or she realizes it or not, treats God lightly. You see, this is a passage that targets a particular kind of person, a person that draws near to God. In our day, say, a person that comes into the gathering of God's people on a Sunday morning. And yet the person doesn't come in with a heart of reverence for God. The person's happy to come to church. The person's happy to be around religious people. The person's happy to sing songs. He likes the music. He listens with half an ear sometimes. But there's no heart of reverence towards God. There's no real desire to worship God. And he never quite gets around to fulfilling the commitments he makes to God. This is a person who thinks he's religious. But the Bible looks at his heart and says, this is a fool. This is someone who treats God lightly. And that kind of worship, the Bible says, is worthless. So friend, let me ask you, does that describe you? You're here this morning. I know you don't know me. I know you've never met me. But are, are you the person who enjoys being at church on Sunday? 
You like the music, you enjoy being around other people, people are friendly, you enjoy that. But if you were honest with yourself, you haven't come here this morning with a heart of reverence towards God. You haven't really been thinking about God at all. Actually, you're not here for God, most especially you're here for yourself because of what you can get from being here. Friend, this is a passage that speaks to that attitude and it reminds you that God is in heaven, that he's high and he's lifted up, he's worthy of worship. And friends, so this is a passage that, that calls you to turn away from that attitude towards an attitude where you put God at the very center of your life, not only on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week as well. Uh, for others and sisters, Namson River Baptist Church, our God deserves reverent hearts, our best worship, and a sincere desire to fulfill the commitments we make to him. That leads me to an application. Our worship of God should be reverent. Again, the, the scene before us in verses 1 to 3, what's the scene of worship? Remember, this is a, a Jewish man walking into the temple. What are they there for? They're there to worship God. And songs of praise are being sung. And sacrifices that point ahead to the sacrifice of the Messiah, they're being offered. This is a place of worship. And as we can tell from these verses, God wants the hearts of his people to be reverent before him. To be filled with honor for him. God does not desire to be taken lightly through rash words or through commitments that we don't intend to fulfill. Well, friends, our, our worship of God should be reverent. Nothing has changed today. You have to understand the same God who was in the heavens in the days of the preacher. Well, he's in heaven now. And when we gather together to sing songs of praise to him, we should be singing from hearts full of reverence and respect for our God. Uh, we should draw near to him expectantly. We should draw near to him uh, seeking to bring a smile to his face. And, uh, and understand, when I talk about reverence, I'm not talking about style of music, and I'm not talking about style of clothing. I'm talking about our hearts. I'm talking about what our hearts should be like before God. Brothers and sisters of Nansen River Baptist Church, when we gather for worship, our hearts should be reverent so that there's a hush in our souls. When we consider the fact that we are gathering corporately to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. There should be a focus to our minds when we pray. Isn't it easy? I raise my hand and confess. Isn't it easy when someone else is praying to the Lord to just let your mind wander? Oh no, we want reverence in our hearts so that we pray together as the people of God. Because we are in a special way in his presence. There should be an intense desire to give the Lord our very best in singing and sacrificial service to others. Friends, we live in an age where people are not comfortable with the thought of a holy God. People want comfort. We want familiarity. We want to be entertained. But God is not our buddy. And Jesus is not our boyfriend. And Isaiah 66 verses 1 to 2 is still true. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? What is the place of my rest? All these things my hands made. So all of these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Now let me give you a word of encouragement this morning. This is the first time I've had a chance to be with you, to be in one of your services, but I want you to know 
that you are an encouragement because I know that this is a church that is being built upon reverence for God's word. This is a church that desires to make much of King Jesus, that desires to know God's word and to make God's word known. You're known in the community as that kind of church. I want to commend you and encourage you this morning. And I want to tell you to press on because you're doing something that's eternally significant. You could have the biggest show on world. You could make this thing flashy and whatever else, and it would be meaningless in light of eternity. But because you're building it on Jesus and his gospel and his word, it will, it will, um, it will just echo forth. Year after year, unto all eternity. I hope you are encouraged by that. And I pray you will always continue to reverence God and his word. Because God deserves to be worshipped with reverent hearts. So what we see, reverent words, that's how we worship God. A second point, faithful deeds. Look at verses 4 to 7. Faithful deeds. Here the preacher continues, kind of unpacking his argument of the way we're supposed to make vows or commitments to him. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. So here we see the the second way that we're to worship God, really this is a follow-up to what we're just saying in verses 1 to 3. Verses 1 to 3, the preacher was encouraging the people of Israel to, to have reverence in their heart when they approached God and to make sure that they were thoughtful when they made a commitment to God. But now in verses 4 to 7, the preacher's main point is that our reverent words are to be matched by faithful deeds. That the commitments we make to God, will we keep those commitments. Listen again to verses 4 and 5. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. So three times in these two verses, the preacher encourages his readers to pay what they have vowed to God. Why should they pay? Why should they fulfill their commitments? Well, the preacher gives two answers. Look at the end of verse 4. Look at the end of verse 4. The preacher says they should pay their vows because God has no pleasure in fools. Now, those are stinging words, right? They should really kind of jar us when we think about what, what again, why would God call someone a fool? Well, it's a fool, again, is someone who does not have reverence in their heart for God. A fool is someone who lives this life as if it's ultimately about them and what they can get and how much they can acquire, and how much pleasure they can experience. The Bible says that is a fool. Those who do not reverence God in their hearts this time by fulfilling the commitments they've made to God are fools in God's eyes. Now look in verse 6, there's another reason why we should pay our vows. The preacher says they should pay their vows lest God judge them for their sins. It says, let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake, why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Here, here's the picture of a man. He's come into the temple. He's made this vow to God. He's going to contribute something. Perhaps it's money. But then ultimately he realizes later that he didn't have the money that he had foolishly vowed. And so when the messenger from the temple comes to collect his vow, he has to say, I'm sorry. It was a mistake. 
Well, what will happen to him? Well, the preacher indicates that God will judge him for his sin and may even take away the thing that that man or woman intended to keep for themselves. Finally, in verse 7, the preacher concludes his teaching with another proverb. For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. There's that word again, vanity. You've heard it over and over, this word vanity. It occurs 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. And it speaks of emptiness. It speaks of meaninglessness. It speaks of something that's passing. And such are the words of the man who makes a vow to God but then doesn't fulfill the vow. Ultimately, in God's eyes, they are empty and meaningless. So look at verses 4 to 7 there. We see that the Jews worshiping the Lord in the temple were to keep the vows they made to the Lord. Now, how should we... Nansen River Baptist Church, how should we apply these words in our day? Let me make one observation and then give you one application. And then I want to conclude the service this morning with a word of gospel hope. Because brothers and sisters, the hope in all of this is not found in our best efforts. The hope in all of this is found in Jesus Christ and his perfect obedience. And we're going to get there. An observation, thoughtless words easily lead us into sin. Now notice what the preacher says in verse 6. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. He's given an important warning. Why? Because in many ways, our mouths easily lead us into sin, do they not? Uh, King Herod, he made a foolish promise to the daughter of Herodias and ended up murdering John the Baptist as a result. Now, most of the time, our words don't end up in leading to someone being killed. But how many times have we uttered thoughtless words that harmed others because we were unkind to them or we made a joke at their expense in public or we pointed out a flaw of their character when we really didn't need to or we mocked them before others because in that moment, we were just being spiteful. Now, friends, isn't it painful even to think about Uh, the ways that we've allowed our words to lead us into sin. That's why the psalmist in Psalm 141, verse 3, he cries out to God and he says, set a guard on my mouth that I wouldn't sin against you. That's a good prayer. That's a prayer that we need to pray if we don't want our words to lead us into sin. The clear application from this passage is that we should keep the commitments we made to God, listen, out of a godly fear for God, out of a reverence for God. Do you see that at the end of verse 7? Verse 7 is really kind of the money line, right? This is really where he packs it up. He says, but God is the one you must fear. And that word fear there, it doesn't speak of trembling and terror. It speaks of reverence, awe. Uh, It speaks of of a relational fear where I understand that God is in heaven and I am on the earth. It's this deep respect for God that we should have. So husbands and wives, when you were married, you made a vow not only to one another, but you made a vow to God that for better or worse in sickness and in health, you would be faithful to one another. Oh, brother, sister, keep your vow. Keep your vow. Men of Nansen River Baptist Church, if you desire to serve this church as an elder, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says that you desire a noble task. It's a good word. But one of the things that will qualify you for that task is being a a man of your word. A man that when you make a commitment, you keep that commitment by God's grace. And that way you will demonstrate the fact that you're a faithful man. A man who who should be poured into so that you can pour into others as the gospel is passed on from generation to generation to generation. 
If you promise to serve the Lord at Nansen River Baptist Church through music, through setting up the sanctuary, uh, through greeting people on Sunday mornings, we were, we were greeted well by you this Sunday morning by serving through children's ministry. You've made a commitment to the Lord. So keep your commitment. View it as an act of worship every time. When you're tired, you come and you say, I'm tired, God, but fill me up with your spirit so I can keep my commitment to you this morning and bless your people by my efforts. It's a good prayer. Young people, Generation Z, let me speak to you here. You, you live in an age where young people are not known for this kind of faithfulness. Uh, young people in our day are not known for working hard on the job. They're not known for keeping their commitments. They are known for quitting easily. I'm, I'm not being mean. I'm just talking about a cultural reality. Don't be like that. You have God within you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have God within you who can help you be a, a man or woman of your word so that you keep your commitments and so bring God glory in that way. And remember, whatever you do, whether you're a student or an employee, you're ultimately serving the Lord Christ. Serve him well. Serve him well. Children, this passage speaks to you as well. Oh, little ones, it is not too early for you to start serving Jesus. And part of the ways that you will serve Jesus is by being someone that when you make a promise, you keep your word. And you do that as an act of worship to Jesus Christ. And little children, he is honored by that and he is pleased by that because Jesus has a special love for you in his heart. Uh, Nansen River, even as I encourage you to keep your commitments though, I, I, want to, I want to remind you, I want you to remember that in all of this, our hope is not in ourselves. There's a, a wrong way to study this passage. The wrong way to study this passage would be to look at this passage and to fall in the trap of thinking, well, it's all up to me. Uh, I'm, I made a commitment. I've really got to work hard and I've got to fulfill that commitment. I've got to do this. I've got to serve God in this way. And we could think about this passage as if it's all about what we're supposed to do for God, but we actually need to study this passage differently. Actually, brothers and sisters, we need to let the weight of this passage fall upon us because if we're honest before God, this is a passage that ultimately confronts each and every one of us for the ways that we have failed to keep our commitments. You know, the Bible's so clear. It says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And each one of us here have made commitments to God and others that we have failed to keep. So we don't get to be the hero of this story, but we do have a hero. And that's where I want to point us this morning. I want to point us to the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who always perfectly kept his word, who always fulfilled his commitments, and he fulfilled the greatest commitment. And what was that? When Jesus, before time began, looks to his father and says, I will redeem them. I will go among them. I will be born a man. I will live a perfect life and I will lay down my life on the cross as a sacrifice for sinners who are unable to save themselves. Father, I will do that. And then he did. And then he kept the vow. And that's why Jesus is a big deal because God became a man and he lived in this world and he lived a perfect life. He always loved God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He always loved his neighbor as himself in the midst of all of it. He's keeping his word to his father, perfectly fulfilling all righteousness. And at his baptism, what does God the Father say about his son? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And Nansman River Baptist Church, the hero of this sermon and of this Bible is Jesus Christ. 
Because he's the one that perfectly fulfilled his word, kept his commitment. He died on the cross, but then he rose from the dead. Why? So that we might be forgiven. Oh, friend, if you're here this morning, perhaps you're just checking out Christianity. You have to understand that Christianity is not about gathering with religious people and reading a Bible and singing songs. Christianity is a person. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the Savior. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead showing that God had accepted his perfect sacrifice. And now there's an offer of forgiveness for you this morning. You're surrounded by people who understand ourselves to be not the hero of the story. But Jesus is the hero of the story. And he lived the life we should have lived. And he died on the cross and he rose from the dead because his father had accepted that perfect work. And this morning, this morning he turns to you and he says, turn from your sin and put your hope in me. And if you do that, friend, this morning, you will be saved. He will change you. Just as we saw in the baptism earlier, he will change you and give you new desires to love him and serve him and live for him. And we would have no greater desire than that. Today would be the day when you would find life in Christ. And listen, Nansen River, oh, he covers us with his perfect righteousness. Is there any better news than that? So that as we commit ourselves to living for God, as we commit ourselves to having a reverence for him, at the end of the day, we know that we have this solid foundation of Christ and his perfect righteousness to build our lives upon. And we know that we are accepted in the beloved. So let me give you one more piece of gospel hope this morning. Uh, When you became a Christian, brother, sister, when you became a Christian, God did something tremendous for you. He gave you the Holy Spirit. God, very God, lives inside of you so that right now where you're seated, you actually do have every resource you need to keep your commitments to God and others. It is the Spirit of God within you who will moment by moment empower you as Christ lives his life through you. He will empower you to live in such a way that you will reverence God in your words with reverent words and in your deeds with faithful deeds. Friends, we will never be the hero of any sermon, but we have a hero. His name is Jesus, and by his spirit, he lives within us, empowering us so we can live for him. My prayer for you, brothers and sisters, is that this week, we would all together have it in our hearts to reverence God so that when we make commitments to him, so that when we serve others, Now, we do so with a heart that is full of love and respect and honor for our God who is in heaven. And we do it with hope because the day is coming when we'll be with him forever. And let's pray. Lord God, we praise you for Jesus and for his perfect righteousness. We praise you for the hope of salvation that enables us, Lord, even in moments where we feel like failures, it enables us, Lord, this reality of your gospel enables us to live and to press on and to take the next step towards heaven. And I'm praying, Lord, I'm praying for us this morning. I'm praying for Nansen River Baptist Church that in this coming week, we would look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and we would press on with reverent words, with faithful deeds with hearts full of love for you. And I pray it in Jesus' name.